1: Hello, Allie. Welcome to New Books and Literature. Thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks so much for having me. I have the privilege of knowing you for a handful of years now, and even working with you on occasion. You are by far the best editor I've had, and you'll be tough to beat. Oh, that's very nice of you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why don't we start by having you tell us a little about yourself as a writer and just as a human being?
0: Well, I'm a writer and novelist uh, from Rural, Ohio. I have written just about everything, both because of my interest as well as, you know, to survive. Um, My uh, first novel just came out, which we're going to be talking about in a bit, Road Out of Winter. I have five other books, mostly of poetry and also short fiction. And I make my living as a journalist. I'm a freelance reporter with the New York Times. But I also write for a, a bunch of magazines and newspapers, uh, primarily about uh, the environment, poverty, rural life, and a little bit of culture. I am a single mom, and I have been for many, many years, pretty much since my son was born. And I mostly write about right from that experience and from my experiences living in rural Ohio in Appalachia, which I did for most of my adult life.
1: And where are you calling from today?
0: I'm actually in Colorado now. We recently moved across the country during the pandemic, which is a harrowing journey that I don't necessarily recommend. Um, so we are trying Colorado. My partner is from there, and we both have family here. Uh,
1: so we're trying to make it work and uh, seeing how it goes, See how it goes. I, I find it interesting that you traveled, you know, across part of the country during the pandemic and how closely that matches the uh the basic storyline of your book The Road Out of Winter. Yeah, it does. It's it's
0: pretty eerie and and I feel like I'm psychic in a way that's not very helpful you know? <laughs> or financially beneficial. <laughs> um, but it is. It is really strange that I wrote this journey across the country during a time of worldwide distress and anxiety and fear, unprecedented. And here we are living it. And then my partner and child and I drove it. Um you know, and I, I actually, I think I'm glad that I wrote the book before I had the experience because I don't think you can really capture in words, you know, mm. the, the anxiety and the fear and the not knowing. I mean, I try, but, you know, <laughs> there's no way we could have predicted how boring the apocalypse is sometimes, you know, <laughs> um, how isolated we are. Uh, right.
1: You know, there's just things that you don't know until you go through them. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, uh, let's get right into why we're here. Let's let's talk about The Road Out of Winter. I would love it if you could read us a little something from the book to get us started.
0: I'd be happy to. So uh, Road Out of Winter is about a young woman who lives in Appalachian, Ohio, where I did. And she actually works as a marijuana farmer in an illegal farm that her family has had for many years. And uh, the novel starts when spring hasn't arrived for two years in a row, and she's beginning to realize, in the part that I'm reading, that they might have to do something. They might have to make a big change. So she has gone to a local flea market by the roller rink, and her friend Grayson has gone to get some propane, because there's a, a line for propane at the gas station, and she's gone to the flea market. So here we go. The flea market had changed. For as long as I could remember, there had been stalls selling airbrush t-shirts, birdhouses, sparkly phone covers. Mama had taken me there to buy my birthday present one year. We had just moved in with Lobo. I remember her telling me to pick out whatever I wanted, anything, even a rabbit fur coat. We could afford it now. And I hadn't. I hadn't wanted anything, not from his money, not as a bribe. Trucks had hawked elephant ears and french fries then. Now I was surprised to see canned goods were for sale. Hard sausages, dried meat, camping gear. The flea market had become a somber, muted place. Even the tents looked gray. Snow pooled in their sagging tops. And the faces of the people, hard and searching, who walked hands in pockets, they were gray too. I passed a stall selling root vegetables. A woman in a matted fur coat, which smelled like it had been in a basement for a decade, picked up a potato from a bin. The potato looked wizened, old and undersized. How much do you want for this? She asked. The owner of the stall hurried to her elbow. I'll trade you a dozen for that coat, he said. Before, sellers at the flea market had accepted cash only, cold, hard cash, no cards. Checks were unheard of. Even if you knew the person writing the check, even if they lived down the holler from you, you could never really know a person. You could never trust what they might do, what drugs or hunger might lead them to. But two years running of extreme cold and bartering had become a system. Along with cash, I saw blankets exchanging hands, food, Live chickens squawking in a wire box. Walking among the tents with cellars pushing squirrel meat and mess kits and knives, I felt as if I had gone back in time. I walked through a Civil War camp or one of those pioneer festivals Mama always swore she would take me to but never did. I had gone back, further than my childhood, further than I meant to. I was lost. A cooking smell of onions and garlic drifted from one of the tents. Something sizzled in a huge pan. I bought two bags of roasted chestnuts, thinking I would bring them back to Grayson. I was not even sure what chestnuts tasted like, but at least they warmed my pockets. I hadn't seen any ammo. I passed a stall selling garlands, festooned with red bows and sleigh bells, and stopped. Christmas decorations? The woman in charge of the stall said, "'Might as well make the best of things. "'It feels like Christmas, don't it?' "'What happened to Halloween?' I asked. "'It was just meant to be conversation, "'but the woman pointed across the parking lot "'to the end of the aisle of tents. "'For that, you want the Pumpkin King.' "'The what?' "'If you want a pumpkin, you need the Pumpkin King. "'He's the only one who grew them this year. "'All mine died.' The woman fingered the bows of a garland, her hands going down the row like a rosary. Everything I tried died. Thanks for the tip. I walked on, past bows and kayaks, cider and corn. I bought a bag of apples, cringing at the price and at the small size of them, almost as wrinkled as the potatoes, with spots of green and cracked brown skin. A man who sold military surplus items had a stand at the end of the row. My mama had bought me a pocket knife from him. That year, I had refused to pick out my own present. I knew that a a knife was a bad luck gift. It severed the relationship. That was a superstition. But though the man had backpacks and canteens for sale, though there were duffel bags with utensil sets, I didn't see any boxes of ammo. The man I thought I remembered his name was Phil, nodded at me from a folding chair. Will, he said. Good to see you looking well. You got any ammo, I asked, a slow shake of his head. I was surprised to feel relief. Maybe I should have it, but I didn't want it. I didn't want to have to figure out what the gun took, how to load it, how to use it. What about MREs, I asked. Sold out of those weeks ago. Your best bets are canned goods and dried food at this point. Do you have vitamin C? I thought back to the clinic pharmacy. Why? To prevent rickets, child. Scurvy if we don't have any oranges this year. Don't you read the internet? We don't have internet at the farm. Oh, Phil was sucking on a toothpick. How's your mama? My hand stopped on a canteen. The leather casing felt like a living hide under my fingers great, I said. She and Lobo are doing real good. I drifted away past Phil's stand, and though he may have called something to my back, I ignored it. We were fine, I was fine. I was certainly not out there alone on the farm. I was certainly not thinking of leaving it all behind. I was sure Phil was one of Lobo's customers, or had been. Maybe one of the men who came up to the farmhouse to visit with him and Mama after I was shut up for the night. Was Phil one of the men who had angered him somehow, asked for too much, paid too little? Lobo called these customers problems. He solved problems with his fists. Sometimes that's the way you've got to do it, he said. People need a lesson they can see. The smoke on those evenings was so thick, it drifted down like mountain fog to my door. I swore I could taste it in my sleep. I was surprised the drug dogs didn't come after us those nights alerted to the scent as they stuck their heads out of windows, riding in Stadies cars down the road. Frost whitened the pavement. I glanced behind me and can see at the other end of the parking lot the overhang of the gas station. The line for propane slunk around the wall. The roller rink was ancient. A friend of Lisbeth's and mine had had a birthday party there when we were in junior high. I couldn't remember the girl's name. Kids would smoke in the bathrooms, and we came back stinking. After that, her folks forbid Lisbeth from skating again. Or maybe the church had banned it, along with YouTube, women and girls driving, shorts. Later on, there was a fire, but the rink had reopened quickly afterwards, tinged with an ashy smell that we found exciting, like riding in fast cars, sticking five sticks of gum in our mouths at once. The choking game. The fire ghost sent tunnel around the ring, skulking like a boy. It never went away. I wondered if the weather had finally closed the rink. Then I found the pumpkin king.
1: Ah, oh, that was fantastic. That That's felt, so yeah, that felt real. I could picture it and it just felt really real. Tell us about this world for, for Willa Dean and Grayson and, and the other characters. Where is this story set? Is it a real place?
0: Well, it is real. I mean, it's my world. (laughs) It was my world and my son's world uh, for many, many years. It's Appalachian, Ohio. Um, Ohio, I think, is sometimes glossed over as just this kind of middle section of America. And it's all these states are alike. And they're really not. And Ohio especially is very strange because different parts of the state are so different as far as the environment and the culture and the economy. Um, I lived for most of my adult life, like I said, in the poorest county in Ohio and one of the poorest communities in the United States. That's where my son was born, and he was born at home, which is pretty typical for that area. It's not uncommon. And, um, you know, it really, living there it really changed my life and it changed my writing. And I realized that people who have the least often give the most as mm-hmm. many of my neighbors and community members did when I found myself a single mom, um, you know, strangers helped me keep going. And that's a big part of the book. Uh, but also a big part of the book is, you know, rural life and life in a remote place. Life where the only store is Walmart Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and it is a 90 minute drive to the airport and you can't always get an appointment at the doctor for months. And that was, you know, before the pandemic. So this kind of, you know, natural, beautiful place with wonderful, generous people living very hard
1: lives is a big part of the book as it was a big part of my life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did this book come to you? How was Willa Dean the protagonist? How is, she, how is she? How does she come into your life?
0: Well, I think that writing books, especially novels, you're really stitching together a bunch of things. Um, you may have heard something. You may have had an experience. You may have an image stuck in your head, and it may take a few years, but eventually, those kind of grow together and form this kernel of an idea. For me, especially, I think that dreams are very important. I have a lot of ideas. I'm never going to run out of ideas. I'm just going to run out of time, (laughs) which is true. But um, I think if you dream something, it's really important and you should pay attention to it. And so I, I dreamed this image of a greenhouse in snow. And it was winter, it was night. The greenhouse was surrounded by these deep drifts. But inside the greenhouse, there was a light and there were two people, two adults and a child. And that was really all I had. And I kind of thought about that for a long time. And then we had a spring that was very late in southeastern Ohio. Um, If you're from Ohio or you know Ohio, the weather can be (laughs) interesting. Um, And it can change very quickly. (laughs) They say about the weather in Ohio, if you don't like it, just wait five minutes and it'll change. (laughs) But this was a very slow spring even for us in Southeastern Ohio, which is like a warmer, kind of more temperate climate, it took forever to come. And I just had this random thought, you know, what if spring never comes back? What will we do? Mm. And that random thought and that image from my dream became the novel. Yeah. As, as far as Will herself, I'm not really sure where she came from. I did want to write about Someone who grew marijuana, which is not that uncommon where I'm from, um, and someone who did it illegally. So there was the, the pressure and the anxiety and the stress of that. And also the fact that her family does live in poverty, that she doesn't really get so much the benefit of her stepfather's crops and hasn't really, you know, she doesn't get to go to college and the things that she always wanted. They don't really have that. Um So I I wanted to write about that world and I definitely wanted to center a woman in that world. Mm. Uh, People have been talking about how she's such a strong female character. I don't really think there's any other kind of woman. Um, That is the woman I know. That's the woman I was raised by and who helped me when I was a single mother. Mm. Uh, So she's sort of a combination of my community of women.
1: Absolutely, which makes me wonder, uh, probably a question that as readers, we have in almost every novel we pick up. Um, You as the author, are you in the book? Did you model any character or characters after yourself? Or did you find after writing them that you related to them somehow?
0: I don't think I would have said this before the pandemic, but I think the pandemic has made us realize things about ourselves and reserves that we might have and and strengths that we might have. And I think at some level that I am Will, actually. I think she's stronger than I am. Um, I don't think I'm that capable or that knowledgeable about plants. I'm learning, but I think Will knows about plants. Um, but I, I did get my family across the country safely during a <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> so You know, before that, I wouldn't have thought that I was well. But after that, I think that maybe she did come from something about myself that I didn't even know that I knew consciously.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as your friend, I would absolutely disagree with you that I can totally see, even when I first read the book, um, which was early on, you know, it's not that there were mannerisms or that were there were descriptors about her that made me think, oh, gosh, this is Allie, but but definitely the tenacity and the resilience and the intelligence definitely came through. And as someone who, who knew you and who knows you, the author, um, I definitely wondered, like, hmm, I wonder if she's drawing on her internal reserves here of self. So I'm glad that you've had that kind of look back now that the, the book is out there in the world and you've had some experiences to kind of reveal those parts of yourself to yourself.
0: Oh, thank you. That's really beautiful. Yeah. I, I, people ask me, you know, how much of your fiction is true? And I always say none of it. But I think the emotions are very true. And I guess yeah. if I think about that further, what are we but emotions, you know, we're right. thoughts and memories and emotions? And that really guides how we feel. And um, anytime Will talks about our feelings, yeah, they are my feelings. That's true. Yeah. They are.
1: Yeah. So the road out of winter has been called a dystopian noir speculative realism. It's been called apocalyptic and a feminist thriller. How do you feel about those descriptors and how would you describe the book? It's also been called a crime novel too. So
0: we're just trying to get everything. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, on one level, it, it doesn't matter what you call it, you know, uh, one of my teachers, Zakes Mda, said something along the lines of, it's not for me to decide what the novel is, that's for the critics to decide. I just I just write it. So, you know, whatever you call it, I just want you to read it. And if labeling it a certain way gets it in front of more people who maybe wouldn't pick up that kind of book, that's great. Um, I do wonder, though, if some of that has to do with who I am, you know, as a woman and a woman who lives below the poverty line and has for many years and who's also disabled and partially deaf and a single mother, you know, I kind of wonder, do do people have this much confusion labeling books by, you know, straight, abled white men? Mm. I don't know if they do. I feel like they are more often, their books are labeled literary because of who they Mm. are, you know, and intellectual and why, you know, as a disabled woman, Who's poor, you know? Why is it so hard to pin me down? Um, at the same time, even though it frustrates me, I think back to my writing heroes, you know, and my heroes are actually heroines mm-hmm. um, uh, Octavia Butler, Ursula K. Le Guin, Angela Carter, uh, the Bronte's, you know, um, they struggle with that too. And I know that I'm in good company in that struggle to be defined and to be accepted, you know, just for my work as it is, which is just a story. You know, it's a story that is scary, and is kind of not in this world. But every day, it's closer to the world we live in, unfortunately. Um, And it uses imagery. And it's also feminist, which I think can scare
1: some people away too, and it shouldn't. Sure. Yeah. So what part of the book was the most difficult for you to write?
0: Hmm. I struggle with beginnings. Uh, mm-hmm. I think my beginnings are weak. Always, <laughs> They're always rewritten many times. Um, I don't struggle with the end so much, but it's a very emotional journey, I think. Mm-hmm. I think at the end, I don't want it to be over and I do sort of grieve that ending. As much as it is exciting to write, it's also sad to see the end of a story. Um You know, there are a lot of uh, men who are dangerous in this book, just like there have been in my life and the lives of of most women and girls and non-binary people. Um, So I think the journey for Will to trust people, especially some men, was difficult to write, uh, just like it was difficult for me to go on that journey myself. You know, Mm. I think we both got there but it it was also a struggle. And you can't write something that you don't believe. I think it really comes through if you don't believe it. So I think if I hadn't had the experiences that I had, I would not have been able to write this book because it wouldn't have been believable.
1: Mm, You can't write something that you don't believe. I like that a lot. And it's so true. Very, very true. So the road out of winter grapples with some extremely tough topics, abandonment, trauma, sexual identity, facing the unknown, the apocalypse. (laughs) What would you say are the major themes that you explore in your fiction overall? And does it differ than your other work as a poet and journalist?
0: That's a great question. I think that I am very concerned with survival Um, not just of a family or of a woman or of a town or of the planet, even, but uh, survival of your heart and survival of your hope and survival of your future, uh, whatever, how you want to actualize yourself, um, and survival of your hope. A lot of people have mentioned the word hope when it comes to this book, which is not. I mean, I, I don't think when you write, you think to yourself, one of my themes will be hope. Uh, <laughs> you don't think about the themes at all, but that just does come in a lot. And how do we find hope? Um, how do we find hope in a pandemic? How do we find hope when the sun hasn't really shined for two years and it's very cold and we live in a very poor place? Um, how can we find hope when the world gives up on us? And I think that it's in the small moments. It's in the idea of found family. And it's in the idea of, you know, doing even what people don't expect you to do, outliving people's expectations of you, sur- out surviving their expectations of you. I write a lot about, in all my work, I, la- I write a lot about poverty, especially rural poverty, intergenerational poverty, uh, rural life. Um, you know, those are, that's what I've lived and that's what I'm going to write from and write about. Um, But I think there's a lot of surprise there as far as um, the love and the hope that that can be found even in the poorest community and even in the hardest life. Absolutely.
1: This is not your first book, but has anything surprised you with this one?
0: Uh, I have, Said to many people, I'm, I'm sure you, <laughs> <as> others, <laughs> that this is the first book I wrote that I feel touched. What I was capable of as an artist, as a writer, and as a person. Um, I just felt held back before by different things. I always wanted to be a novelist. I didn't study fiction writing. I studied poetry and nonfiction, which I also do write. But I just felt held back, I think, by academia and by the situations of my life, um, but also by myself. You know, I was worried about the reception if I didn't do certain things. For example, when I first started writing Rolled Out of Winter, I tried to make this Love triangle between Will and the two male characters who are her friends and companions, and it's just, I mean, you're laughing because, like, that would not work, you know? <laughs> they are just friends. And but I thought you had to have that love triangle in a book, and I think. I, you know, I stopped writing and had to redo it because it wasn't working. You know, I didn't believe Mm -hmm. it, like I said earlier. And I also think I've held myself back in the past, as far as uh, imagery and describing things, really saying how they are really going for it, but also really going for it as far as the emotion, you know, talking about the violence, talking about the love and the intensity of feeling you know, and the feminism of the book, um, the role of women and non-binary folks, and what men do in the book. I mean, I didn't hold back, and I thought for sure that, well, when I get an agent, he's gonna he's gonna tamp it down, and he didn't. And I thought, well, an editor is going to she's gonna you know scale it back a little, and she didn't. So, this is the first book I've ever written that I went for it and the people who put the book out into the world they went for it too so we kind of went for it together and i think it made the strongest book that i could have made
1: fantastic so it you know as you're talking it makes me wonder and this is perhaps uh, a bit of a spoiler but i wonder if you could talk about what what is love for will and does she find it and how does she find it if she does uh, that's a great question. I
0: mean, I yeah, I don't want to spoil it either, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, you know, she assembles a found family. Her biological family has not been there for her, partly because they couldn't and partly because they wouldn't. They just refused to. It just didn't work out. And so she's kind of had, she just kind of does it by mistake on the road. She assembles a group of friends who do become her family in this extreme situation, And Will is someone that, you know, love has never quite worked out for her. I do think of her as bisexual, um, although she doesn't name herself that. And the book doesn't do it. I mean, I don't think she's from that community and would have that language to do so. But, Mm -hmm. you know, she's had some relationship with men that didn't work out. And she's got this longtime love of a friend of hers. And and it doesn't feel like that's going to work out either. But that doesn't mean that it might not in the future. Um, I think that sometimes being someone like Will, who came from rural poverty, you know, sometimes you have to leave home to find love and to make the kind of life that you want to make. And, you know, although I have a wonderful family, I also have a found family, too. So I think sometimes you have to find love in your friends and find love in yourself before you can find it
1: elsewhere. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly. So one of the things I love about your writing is the voice, a lyrical, rhythmic kind of quality to each line. Do you think that comes from your background as a poet? Did it Did it find its way into your fiction and does it show up in, in your other writing as a journalist?
0: It does. Although I often, as a, someone who works as a freelancer, I don't get to work with a consistent editor on my journalism. And I often have editors who try to tamp down my language a little bit <laughs> for better or worse. Um, I, you know, I, I think it comes from being a poet, but I think even earlier than that, I think it actually comes from my disability. I think that being someone who's partially deaf, um, I hear about half the world is how I describe it. And I think I learned from a really, really young age to fill in the blanks of what I couldn't hear. And I think I filled in the blanks with music. I think I filled mm. in things that maybe didn't always make sense logically, but in my brain they sounded good. You know, I think I was always interested in how things sound. And you know, when you're when you are missing things, as I do, as a person who's hard of hearing, you know, your brain wants something to go in the blank. And and for me, it was music. It was interesting images. It was uh, musical language and I listen for that wherever I am.
1: Do you ever uh, write characters that have any disabilities? Do you find yourself exploring that at all? You know, I was thinking about that recently, and I think,
0: I think in my heart, like all of my characters are hard of hearing. (laughs) I think that Will is, I just, I think that their responses and their alertness to the world sometimes hyper vigilance to the world and how they are sometimes more quiet and reserved that's all I know so I think I put that in there but you know I decided that that's that's not enough and me talking about being disabled openly is not enough and my current work in progress I'm about a hundred pages in and uh, the main character is a woman journalist she's a freelancer like me uh, she does not have a lot of money she struggles uh, but she's also hard of hearing. She's partially deaf. And I decided to make that a part of the story, you know, part of her open, openly. So we'll see if that causes less people to pick up the book or more, but, um, I think it's time that I write it in there and really write who I am.
1: I agree. So What does, you talked a little bit just now, but what does writing a book look like for you, especially with the young son and, you know, the complicated and stressful work as a freelance writer? By the way, with pieces in venues like the New York Times and Elle Magazine and The Atlantic, you've got a lot of projects going at once. So, how in the world are you, you're basically writing a book a year. How, what does that look like? It's
0: hard, but it's, you know, I feel better when I got a lot of work going. And I think that comes from the way I was raised. I also think probably that comes from trauma. You know, I feel mm-hmm. better when I have a lot going on, which is common among people like me. Um, but, you know, the pandemic has thrown everything a little bit off. Um, my son does not go to school. His the school district is all remote. So he goes to his room and it's only a few hours a day. Um it's more like he's taking college classes or something. You know, he's (laughs) got a class and then he chills and he's got another class. But what I used to do before the pandemic is as soon as I woke up and got him to school, I would write work on my book. And I would try to write at least a thousand words a day. If I was working on a book, and I'm not always working on a book, but I'm happiest when I'm working on a book. So I would try to write a 1000 words in the morning, not stop, not judge myself, not correct the spelling or read over it, see if it's crap. It's probably crap, but I was going to come back later and, and make it better, you know, so I would do that in the morning. Then I would, you know, take a break for lunch. And then I would spend the afternoon doing my, my freelance work, the journalism that is a different side of the brain. It's more analytical. I'm still doing that now. Um, I am still working on my new novel in the morning, doing freelance stuff in the afternoon. The time is a little bit different. It's a little bit broken and fragmented because of the pandemic and schools not really being open I have jokingly said that my new novel is going to be written entirely during my son's Zoom meetings, (laughs) but I really think that's true. So, So we'll see, you know, it may change the way I write temporarily, but when it comes to a book, what has worked for me as a single mother is just to get it done, you know, just get that first draft done and then you'll make it better. But the,
1: you know, important thing is finishing, just get it finished and then you can go back. So Road Out of Winter just was released. Uh, There was a book launch and we're in the middle of this pandemic and everybody's still spending the majority of their time in their homes. And there's so much more interaction online. Traditionally, there would be some kind of book tour going on uh, that you'd be in the midst of either about to embark on or in the midst of. Is that still happening? Is it, is it, going online? How is that working for you?
0: I am still doing events. Uh, they have all been virtual so far. Um, we did a virtual book launch, with you, which you know you were a part yes. of, and it was, yes. that was really a fun. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we could have gone out afterwards, but it was really fun. I am doing a couple readings uh, this month and next month um, with various places. I'm doing a reading at the end of september um, with the sundress academy for the arts i'm doing some group readings with people um a bookstore here in colorado asked me to answer some questions on a video and they're going to put it online so you know we're trying to find ways to do fun book stuff the 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 good part about it i guess is that you know you are able to reach people all across the world even Mm. Um, I probably wouldn't have been able to fly all these places unless they paid for my plane ticket. (laughs) So, you know, getting to experience that is really great getting to see people from all parts of my life who live in many different places, join these zoom readings is really great. Um, But it is, I mean, writing itself is very lonely and this is the part of writing, sharing your work, which is supposed to not be lonely. So it's sad that it's lonely once more because of the pandemic but we're doing the best we can to get it out there.
1: Yeah. Are, is there like a schedule of events or anything posted that we can go find and, and follow along? Or are these things kind of just happening as they as they come? I do have a schedule of events at my website. If you go
0: to com. A-L-I-S-O-N-S-T-I-N-E dot com and click on events. I do have a schedule of events updating a lot as things do, you know, change and sometimes happen at the last minute. I was calling my virtual book tour the Snow in September tour. Right. And then, as you know, it actually did snow. Yes. <laughs> in September here in Colorado is the earliest snow in something like 60 years. Um, we had about three inches, which was really fun. And, uh, my son was both amazed at my power to control the weather and frustrated by the fact that remote school did not have a snow day. (laughs) So I'm not sure if we're still calling it that or not, if we want snow or not. Um, but it is, it is up on my website if you
1: want to check that out. Wonderful. So one question that I like to ask, um, especially if you're a writer you're also a reader. So what are you reading these days when you find the time? And does it find its way into your work?
0: It does. I, I try to read every night. Um, like a lot of people, it's actually been hard during the pandemic. Mm. You would think you have more time. But I think, you know, your brain is a million different places and you're so exhausted. It's really hard to, to sit down and focus um i read all of meg ellison's uh books especially her trilogy the book of the unnamed midwife those were the first books i was able to get through during the pandemic um i i'm not sure why because it's about a pandemic but it's just very different and it's very feminist And it deals with issues of gender identity and fluidity and love and attraction. And I just felt very comforted by those books. Mm. Um, I do primarily read books by women and people of color. I just, I find a lot of comfort in that. And I find a lot of home in that, I guess. Um, I have been thinking I should return to Octavia Butler, especially her book Parable of the Sower, which is one of my favorite books. And it does seem to really speak to this time. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm
1: hoping to return to her book soon. So you talked a little before about the project you're working on now um, that you're 100 pages in. I'm very excited. Um, but I'm also excited for another book that I had the privilege to be an early reader, um, which I believe is set to come out next year. Can you yeah. talk to us a little bit about that? My
0: next novel is set to come out next year. Hopefully the world will still be here. (laughs) I will still be reading, I hope, but I'm not going to take it for granted. Um, It's called Trashlands, and it's also published by Mira, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. Um, And Trashlands is about a world where plastic is currency. Plastic Mm. has overtaken the world, which has also had extreme climate chaos and uh, no new plastic can be made, but plastic is still found. And the main character and many of the characters work as scavengers in the area that used to be Appalachia and they collect plastic and they melt it down and remake it and barter it. But the main character is also an artist she, without being trained, without having much guidance, she makes these sculptures and she leaves them in the trees and by the river. And so she has to choose between her art and love and survival, which isn't really much of a choice. But it's also one that I think women and non-binary folk have been forced to make throughout time. Absolutely.
1: And another another book about survival.
0: Absolutely. And art, which was really hard to write about so for me as someone who loves art but is not trained as an artist um one of my interests is graffiti and street art and so i was thinking you know what would graffiti in this world look like where there isn't spray paint cans but there is plastic you know so she makes these sculptures out of junk out of plastic um and uh writing about that Um, was kind of a way for me to write about my own struggles as someone who's a parent and an artist. Um, I put that into the book and into her different but similar struggles.
1: I'm going to go ahead and publicly predict a movie coming out (laughs) of either or both of these inspiring and thrilling stories. So you heard it here first, people. There there should be a movie for both of these books. I would be very open to that. (laughs) (laughs) So, with the Road Out of Winter, where can we find the book? Is it out for Kindle, audiobook? It's out in all format wherever books are sold.
0: Um, you can find it at independent bookstores. You can find it, look for an independent bookstore at IndieBound or Bookshop. Um, you can also find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, there is a Kindle version, an ebook version, and there's an audiobook version, which is narrated by a wonderful actress who was very concerned with not doing an accent and getting the dialect of Southeastern Ohio right. And she communicated with me and was very, very diligent and um, did a lot of research on that,
1: which I appreciate. Oh, that's fantastic. Now I have to go listen to the audiobook, even though I've read this book like three times already. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, Allie, thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to chat today. Thank you. Me too. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it.